Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will go up into the Salt and Light attic and bring down some of our favorite conversations. First, we speak with John Kaiser about his book, The Monks of Tiberin, about the murder of seven Trappist monks in Algeria. And we meet singer-songwriter and comedian Nick Alexander. In our second half hour, theologian and author Peter Kreeft tells us about the 10 important questions that everyone should ask, and we end the program with a conversation with singer-songwriter Sarah Kroger. We begin now with the Monks of Tiberin. In 1996, seven French Trappist monks were kidnapped and killed in Tiberin, Algeria. Most of you probably have heard of this story with the release of last year's award-winning French film of Gods and Men. It's an inspiring story of faith, love, and sadly, the reality that many people experience living in the Middle East. And to tell us more about this story, I'm now joined by John Kaiser, author of The Monks of Tiberine, the book on which the movie was based. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So you're not Algerian, you're not French, you're not Muslim. What, what led you to write this book? Uh, the book, in a sense, was a uh, very long prayer of gratitude hmm. uh, for probably the richest uh, year of my life uh, spent in France in 1994-95 with right. my family in which I encountered Catholics and Muslims and Arabs and French culture, and out of all that stew, one of the enduring relationships that uh, I think uh, changed my life was with a uh, Catholic priest who became kind of my mentor in understanding uh, better my own supposed faith as a Christian uh, and appreciating Scripture in ways that I never had before. And uh, out of that, uh, out of that experience, I uh, had this strong desire to come back to France, and uh, and the story of the Trappist monks, which I learned about when I left, returned to the United States, uh, uh-huh. struck a chord, and uh, it, it gave me a way to uh, express uh, sort of a deep appreciation for the sort of spiritual nourishment that I got from Father Costa. Did you find that it was important to, well, I think you did because it's all over the book, but this relationship between Christianity or Catholicism and, and Islam, I mean, you even have uh, quotes from the Quran, and, and did you find that it was important for the story to be true, true to the story, to, to explain the, the relationship or similarities, perhaps, that of the two great faiths? Well, yeah, it needed to come out in some way. I mean, it came out very explicitly in my year in France when I took part in a Catholic Muslim, local Catholic okay. Muslim dialogue okay. in which uh, when the Muslims explained the basic uh, five pillars of what it means to be a Muslim, mm-hmm. the Catholics would say, well, those are all Catholic. Yeah, we have to pray regularly. We're supposed to pray regularly. We're supposed to mm-hmm. fast. We're supposed to uh, give alms. We're supposed to go on a pilgrimage. And, and we're supposed to believe that there's only one God. And Muslims say exactly the same thing with the proviso that they do add, and Muhammad is his prophet, but they don't reject all the other prophets, including Jesus. Right. Now, if that's the case, and I think this comes out in the book as well, that a lot of Muslims, at least the ones you describe in Algeria, 
would would uh, would respect the the monks that were there, the Christians, because they did practice their faith, because they saw a lot of similarities in terms of those five points. So, what went wrong? Well, what went what, what went wrong was the whole environment in in Algeria in the '90s, where you had a rather nasty civil war. Essentially, uh, it was their Arabs. There, it was sort of the first Arab Spring, if you will, back in right. the And what went wrong was uh, the philosophy of uh, the uh, uh, the friend of my enemy is my enemy, and what you had was a struggle between insurgent groups and and the government over you know what's it mean to be a good Muslim and what sort of a state should we have and what is justice and so on and mm-hmm. so forth, in which foreigners became targets. Uh, because foreigners were viewed as uh, serving the interests of the government, and most of the foreigners who were killed, which were not many in the grand scheme of things, I think it was like about uh, not even a hundred, uh, whether they were Brits or French or Filipinos, were killed because they were doing something, thought to be doing something useful for the government. Same happened with the Christian community. Christians were okay. often taking care of old people, teaching. And in the case of the monks, uh, they were kidnapped, I think, for a very peculiar reason, and that was their refusal to leave. And I think the, I'm pretty sure that the gendarmerie did a deal with the terrorists and said, mm-hmm. get these guys out of here and we'll switch, we'll, we'll trade off the monks for some of your prisoners and we'll both look good. <laughs> and that went and wrong. Didn't, okay, I, I wanted to, I want to ask you about, about why they didn't leave, but uh, so, so they were kidnapped or killed not because they were Christian necessarily, but because they were foreigners, or both? In, in their case, it was, uh, you know, Christianity has a bad smell, um, has a sort of sweet and sour flavor in most of the m- m- Middle East. Because, because it's because, Western. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, the the symbolism of the French occupation was uh, um, the plow, the sword, and the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and even though uh, French soldiers didn't say, you know, long live Jesus when they killed people. Uh, the fact is that uh, colonialism in, uh, in, in, in the Middle East and North Africa and throughout most of the world was implicitly a Christianizing mission. Mm-hmm. A- and so, and while Christians often, communities often did very good works, they also uh, were associated with uh, a, very, a lot of very bad behavior on the part of uh, the colonizing right, forces. Of course. And, and, and the, so the, front, so the Trappists had a, some, some of that aura, but they were respected deeply by the locals, and they became a tool in a power struggle that really went beyond, you know, this uh, simple Christians versus Muslims idea. Now the monks were were advised to leave, and they and they chose to stay. Is it common for Christian religious communities in Muslim countries to stay despite violence and potential threats? Well, it's an individual decision. I mean, uh, as as Christian Sherje said, our lives weren't taken; they were given. Hmm. Uh, they made they along with the Augustinian sisters and some other the Père Blancs. Uh, they uh, knew that they were in a dangerous situation, but they shared that danger with other foreigners and mainly with Algerians, who were mostly at risk because most of the people being killed were other, were, were were other Muslims. Muslims. Yeah. So they just made a decision that, you know, we don't want to be chased out of here, and we're, we have taken vows. We took a vow of stability and a vow mm-hmm. of poverty, and uh, stability means you stay put, and mm-hmm. poverty means you don't go off to the married hotel, you know, you yeah. stay with your neighbors. 
in solidarity. So I think it was very much the attitude of, you know, soldiers in a trench. You mm-hmm. know? And I think a lot of people, I mean, it's possible that some, even some listeners aren't even sure where, where Algeria is. But, I mean, all last week, and the week Algeria was in the news, with another kidnapping, and which did not turn out very well either. Uh, how is this? It, I mean, you talked about Algeria being the first uh, um, um, Arab, Spring. Arab Spring, but how are things in Algeria now? Well, it's been uh, it's been uh, twi- uh, twelve, almost twenty years, and and I would say Algeria now generally is uh, is a uh, seems to be a reasonably well-functioning society and and uh, the government i think is uh, reasonably stable uh, it's basically a military government clothed in democratic uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, garb but uh uh they do have these strategic assets down in the south in the, the sahara uh and right. from everything i read uh, basically this event uh, it seems to be uh viewed as a sort of a unintended consequence of uh of several things. One are going into Libya, and uh, and and because the Berber Touaregs were actually the bodyguards of uh, okay. Gaddafi, yeah, and uh, got a lot of the heavy weaponry was brought back out, and then the Touaregs were armed to fight in Mali, uh-huh. uh, where yeah. there's a civil war going on. And uh, according to you know what I read, I don't have any special knowledge. Is this was sort of a, a way to uh, attack the international community in a way that would put some pressure on them to uh, get, leave their hands off of Mali. Right, of course. Now, maybe just in closing, what what is your hope that that readers w- that readers will take from the book? Well, I, I guess what I uh, what what I would hope the readers take from the book is that they understand that uh, Islam is uh, very much like Christianity. It's got a lot of diversity, a lot of different faces and flavors. And like uh, seems to me, most all religions, their ca- religion is capable of being amu- abused and, and used uh, for political purposes. And, and uh, this is happening in Islam today, as it is happening, you know, to mm-hmm. lesser extent in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much, John, for uh, for speaking with us today, for sharing a little bit about um, your your story, and I guess for writing the book and sharing the story of the monks with us. Well, thank you. John Kaiser is the author of The Monks of Tiberine, Faith, Love, and Terror in Algeria. It's published by St. Martin's Press. You can learn more at themonksoftiberine.net. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Nick Alexander, with Too Late Have I Loved You. There I had searched for you I 
what's so deformed Searching through these forms Which you had made You were always with me Yet I was not with you These kept me far from you But had they not been from you would not be at all. Too late have I loved you. Too late have I loved you. Oh, beauty so ancient and yet so new. Too late have I loved you. Too late have I loved you. You called and you shouted. You burst my deafness, dispelled the darkness, now I can see. You called and you shone, you breathed out your fragrance, now I can breathe. Now that I've tasted, how much more I hunger. How much more do I thirst? For you, O oh Lord, have touched me, touched me, and I burn for your peace. I burn for your peace. I burn for your peace. Dispel the darkness, now I can see. You called and you showed. You breathed out your fragrance, now I can breathe. Too late have I loved you. Oh, I would have come running had I only knew. Too late have I loved you. Too late. Nick Alexander with Too Late Have I Loved You from his album Eternal Life, The Party Album. Now, who is Nick Alexander? Is he a comedian, a worship leader, a speaker? I first heard about him because of his parodies. He has three comedy music albums out. 
but I know that he's also an accomplished songwriter and spends a lot of time at events sharing the good news. And he does so in a way that is engaging, funny, heartfelt. And because of that, it's effective. And I'm very happy to have Nick Alexander joining us now on the program. Nick, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, I am so happy to be here, Pedro. You rock. <laughs> you have, like, way too much energy. What, what are you? Are you a comedian? What are you? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, out. You know, I'm a man who's infected with the joy of the Lord. That's what I am. And however it comes out, if it comes out with comedy, great. If it comes out in praise, great. If it comes out in a nice little wistful anecdotes that will have people bawling in their seats, great. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my goal, to have people crying (laughs) nonstop. Crying. Kleenex. Kleenex. You're you're in cahoots with the Kleenex company. You better believe it. I'm gonna put those, you know, dryers in the in in the in the in the bathrooms, you know. I'm gonna put them out of business. Basically. Yeah, seriously. So how did you write how did you start writing par were you writing like serious music before? Like what was the chicken or the egg? Or were you writing parodies before? How did that all start for you? I wanted to be the next John Michael Talbot. So I wrote parody songs. Um the the <laughs> goal is it was a songwriting exercise to be able to improve my own songwriting chops that's all it was sorry it was an exercise that you decided you wanted yourself or were you in a class no it was in myself i was just doing it myself it's like you know what i i i need to improve my songwriting skills so let me just write a couple of parody songs i didn't expect any of them to actually hit a, a comedic jugular so to speak, but that's exactly what happened. And people said, you know, you really have something and nobody else has. You better just run for it. So uh, I did. I ran for it for uh, three full albums and occasional new songs here and there. And right. so that's what happened. Basically. So that what was that one first song? <laughs> well, I was actually at um, a Catholic Association of Music retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Basically, I had already written I Got You Saved uh-huh. and Old Time Gregorian Chant yeah. and Repent. Uh-huh. Those three I thought were pretty good. Yes. But I had always played those in a mixed congregation environment. I just did it as fun. It wasn't really serious. And it was just the right tone. And we, I played it for Cam, and uh-huh. they all went crazy. Yeah, it's like we've never seen anything like this before. That was like the right crew to finally hear it yeah while i was at that retreat tom booth yeah you know tom booth yeah, of course the great songwriter tom booth yeah he was giving a talk about um songwriting he said oh wouldn't it be cool if catholics wrote a song called transubstantiation uh-huh and i had finished the song transubstantiation that night so that's the parody on the beatles revolution exactly yeah and I, you know, it just came very easy for me. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And then, of course, there's RCIA the, on the on YMCA. Well, no, YMCA by those people. Um, but RCIA was one of those things where it just, that wrote itself in 10 minutes. I was basically sure. sitting there and I was going, hmm, I should do a parody of YMCA. What do we have in the Catholic Church that we can use that rhymes with YMCA? And then 10 minutes later, the whole song was written. Yeah, RCIA. It's very funny. And then, of course, Should I Stand or Should I Kneel, which I think is the other one that a lot of people like. That one, I got to tell you, was a hard one to write. But when it came out, when it finally came out just right, 
I just, uh, to me, that's one of my favorite parodies. It is. I've it's ever one done. of my favorite ones. And so you came up with the, the basic, the first idea, should I stand or should I kneel? I think I was watching TV and there was a commercial or it was a movie review program and it was a Rugrats movie. Uh-huh. And they were singing the original song. I guess it was part of part of the soundtrack or something. Uh-huh. And I just sat there and I said, what do you know? I never noticed this, but this is like a song that pretty much has seeped into the culture and it's kind of heavy, but you can hear the lyrics distinctly. And right. you can get people to sing along with you. Right. And that's what made my my mind go, I better try to tackle this because this is this is gold. And and so the idea of it being about my own personal experience coming into the Catholic Church, that came later. Right. Now, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember one time you and I were either communicating either, through email or something, and you were saying that you didn't want to anymore be known as the parody guy, the Catholic weird owl. That you, so you tried, you wanted to be more of a worship leader. The, 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 was that a phase? Are you sort of reconciling yourself with with this gift that you have, or, or are you both? Can you do both? Do you go to a worship meeting and, and lead worship by do, using parody songs? Here's the thing. I, I have, um, within the last six months, I started a new podcast Yes. called the Prayer Meeting Podcast. Uh-huh. I don't really do parody songs on that. Right. To me, that's now more of a continuation of me finding a creative outlet in being able to demonstrate my gift for worship. Now, mm-hmm. here's the interesting thing. People who are looking for worship leaders don't generally look in the comedy aisle no, in the they Catholic don't. bookstore. No, they don't. And people who are looking for comedy writers aren't usually looking in the worship section. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to branch out to both groups. Okay. And I'm trying very hard to say, you know what, um, I'm not defined by my parody. I, it seems like my parody writing has made me like put a mark on the map. Uh-huh. But kind of like Weird Al Yankovic isn't just a, co- a parody writer either. He's also no. a music video director. Yeah, but nobody knows that. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, so how is that working for you? Well, I'm just starting it off and right now I think my podcast is actually getting a lot more um uh traction over the mm-hmm. last couple of uh, months. And I'm just loving it. To me, I think that's just a great opportunity to come out there. and to. Uh, I've had a wellspring of creativity in just discovering new songs, new old songs, uh-huh, uh-huh. The, the way that I have to do this, and being able to uh, introduce new generations to, you know, our history. I'm even doing Gregorian chant huh. on this podcast. Yeah. So it's a combination of... Um, old and new and spirituals and uh, hymns that have been long forgotten and Gregorian chant and then I get to share who I really am on these right. on this type of show. So. so, so tell us a little more about it. So it's a, it's called the Prayer Meeting Podcast. It's an, they're all an hour long. It's and, about an hour long. Yes. And sort of and the format that you follow is that you're you're because people you also have the lyrics available so people could listen and sing along. Exactly. The goal of it is I, um, it's, it's to, as best as I can within a podcast environment, to follow the format of an old-style charismatic prayer meeting, uh-huh. except I incorporate 
a lot more styles of music in it. I have a lot more freedom to do certain things. Okay. And so the first half of it is worship um, songs, and I also take the liturgy, I take the scriptures of the readings of the week, and I try to find p- ways to pray those readings. Okay. And then from there, I do a song of the week where I focus upon a praise and worship song that uh, I like, and I want to demonstrate to people how I would use it, mm-hmm. you know, in a context. That's like about five to ten minutes. And then from there, I do a talk on something that's been weighing on my heart. Uh-huh. And one of the interesting things is, and, and I don't know if we're going to run out of time, I'm starting, a, I just started a new series. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a Lenten movie club. Oh, okay. We're going to actually watch movies, and these movies are now easily accessible because of, say, I don't know how they are in Canada, uh-huh. but, you know, through groups, things like Netflix. Oh, yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, Amazon yeah, and Hulu. Yeah. I don't know how, if you have all those or not. I don't not. think Hulu's available here, but, but certainly Netflix, and, but there's so many other, other options. So yeah. people, So how does that work? Well, basically, we're all going to watch a movie, and uh, I'm just going to just share my, my feelings about the movie um, after, the, after we, we talk about it. So I'm telling everybody, like the first week, we're going to be watching a movie called Diary of a Country Priest, uh-huh. which is an yep. old yep, French, French movie. movie from yeah. the 50s. Yeah, 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 good. And it's one of the great religious movies that nobody's ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now you can see it. Let's nice. see it. Let's see it together. Let's do it this Lent. And it's just, that's just another passion. And you're doing, so, but this is separate from the prayer meeting podcast, so. This is actually, no, this is. As part of the prayer meeting. This is the talk. Oh, I see. So if people want to join in on the Lenten movie club, they, it's prayer meeting. They need to go to prayer meeting and, and that's the same. They can fast forward through, <laughs> they, can, they just want to hear the through talk all the music. in the singing. They can fast forward through They'll all the boring singing. Okay, so that's good. Okay, so nickalexander.com. If people go to that website, then there's a link to the prayer meeting. Is that the easiest way to find Prayermeetingpodcast.com. Prayermeetingpodcast.com. Yes. Okay, perfect. And then everything is there and accessible. Nick, that's all the time we have. We have to leave it there. But thank you so much for sharing a bit of what you do with us today and for sharing your music. And, uh, and, and yeah, I hope that our listeners will, will uh, flock to your prayer meeting. And, and I'm interested in the Lenten Movie Club myself. So uh, Cool. Yeah, thanks a I'll lot. see you there then. For sure. <laughs> Nick Alexander, singer, songwriter, speaker, worship leader, comedian, prayer meeting guy, and a apparently Lenten movie expert. You can learn more about Nick Alexander. You can book him and you can purchase his music at his website, nickalexander.com. And also for the prayer meeting, you can go to prayermeetingpodcast.com. And now because it's Lent, here now is Nick with This Time of 40 Days from his album, I Want to Be Debated. There's a little black spot on your head I guess it must mean today is Ash Wednesday And we enter a time when we will give things up For some it's so easy, but for me it's tough I hope I can last without it being a pain on Fridays, no meat, but at least fish is okay. We just got our throats, less on the feast of Saint Blaze. 
And it starts right this week, this time of 40 days. There's a little black spot on your head today. It's to remind us that from dust we came. Guess I should read a book. We're listening to Nick Alexander with This Time of 40 Days from his album I Wanna Be Debated. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. According to Dr. Peter Kreeft, there are 10 important questions everyone should ask. And the answers to these questions, which lead to ultimate truth, are a matter of reason, not of faith. Catholic philosopher and writer Peter Kreeft tackles each of these questions in his new book, Jacob's Ladder, and he does so in a logical step-by-step way, like climbing a ladder. And because questions are best answered in dialogue, the book is laid out as an imaginary conversation. To find out about his book, and hopefully to help us answer some of these questions about the truth about life, I had the chance to speak with Dr. Kreeft earlier this week. Dr. Kreeft, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Well, thank you. So this book... Jacob's Ladder, 10 Steps to Truth. That, that's a bold statement. Um, you, you say that these are 10 important questions that everyone should ask. Yes, and I dare to use the T word. Uh, Harvard University's motto is Veritas, which means truth, but that's a word that's forbidden to be spoken on uh, politically correct campuses anymore. Exactly. So what? What it, <laughs> I, now I'm going to be Pontius Pilate. What is truth? So ah. do I need to read the book to, to get to the last chapter to, to arrive at truth? Well, we all know what truth is. Truth means telling it like it is. Uh-huh. And to the modern skeptical mind, you can't know it like it is. So you can't know truth. Uh-huh. But if that's true, uh, you're contradicting yourself. Right. So deep down, we all know that we do know some truth. Okay. So what this book appeals to is common sense. Yes. Not sophisticated philosophy. No, that's true. And that's what I, what I personally liked about it. And, and I want to get a little bit into some of those uh, specific rungs in the ladder. But let me ask you, because, I mean, clearly you didn't just think about this when you were writing the book. You've been thinking, you know, how did, how did you arrive at these 10 steps or these 10 questions? Well, not in as orderly and as systematic a way as the book presents it, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, when one lives rather than thinks, one makes a lot of false turnings and, and explores paths that are dead ends. But you can still... Uh, summarize the things you learned on your journey to to help others to avoid some of those mistakes. So uh, putting them in the logical, I guess, order um, was, is just a practical thing for the book, or is that the logical order that if we follow our common sense, we will go from one step to the next? Both, both. It's uh, the order of teaching is often not the order of learning. Teachers who are supposed to be wiser than their students want to save their students some time, uh, so they present things in a much more logical order than we usually learn them in. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, and you mentioned you, you mentioned common sense. So why approach these questions, which I would say ultimately have to do with faith, also? Yep. Why approach it from 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 that rational? Point because of view? faith is both rational and commonsensical. Uh, throughout Christian history, it was assumed that faith is about facts. 
mm-hmm. that there are uh, tests and that there's evidence for faith. Faith is not simply a feeling. Uh, yeah. Most people don't believe that anymore. So I wanted to restore that old model of, of faith based on fact. Why, why do people, I guess, why don't people believe that? Or why do you think people have such a hard time believing that, that it has to, that it can make, that it does make sense? Well, I don't know, frankly. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> and to go down that road and to find all the, the sources of, of misunderstandings and errors, I don't think would get us very far. Uh, yeah. Much better to spend our time with the positive. Here is the road that, that leads to the light. Yeah, because I think that most people, if they started uh, as uh, following the arguments as you lay them out, that, that our own common sense will take us from one step to the next, and then everybody would agree that these are the logical arguments and everything will make sense. Well, everybody would agree if everybody's commonsensical and rational, which, of course, as we all know, they aren't. Absolutely. But right. at least you have a, right. a, a model, a, a goal. Right, right. So you've cho- chosen to write it as a conversation between two characters rather than, I guess, a, a, a work of non-fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you make that choice? Well, for two reasons. First, it's more interesting. It's uh-huh. dramatic. You wonder who's going to win. It's personal. The only two things that never get boring are persons and stories. Yep. And stories have to be about persons. Uh-huh. Uh, and ultimately, because the nature of ultimate reality, if Christianity is true, is not just one person, but three in eternal dialogue. Uh-huh. So dialogue gets closer to truth than monologue. Right. And relationship, I guess, also between mother, the, the I guess, the sort of every woman philosopher, maybe not every woman, but... <laughs> and Libby, well, she's a symbol of Mother Church. Yes. Um, why did you have her represented? Because she described herself as... As it sounds like a big mishmash of everything, she's she, she's she's Catholic, but she's of Jewish background. But she is that because that's the way the church is. Yes, it's not only Catholic with a large C, which is essential, but also Catholic with a small C, universal. Uh huh. And uh, she's got uh, another person to talk to, which represents the, the doubter in all of us. Right. In other words, we're all schizophrenic, yeah. uh, to a certain extent. That makes mental life interesting. So to write in that way uh, simply reflects the, uh, the reality of our minds. Right. So then the, these two characters meet, they meet on the beach, and then over a period of presumably 10 days, they go from one, one step to the next. And, and the symbol is of a ladder, as the title suggests. Um, can you tell us maybe uh, what some of the rungs on this ladder are? Well, first of all, that there are rungs means that there's a definite order. You can't take step three before you take step one, Uh and so on. Uh, And secondly, the image of the ladder is, of course, from the Bible. And Mm -hmm. according to the New Testament, the the meaning of Jacob's ladder is Christ. Uh He himself uses those exact words that are used in the Old Testament to Mm -hmm. describe himself. Mm -hmm. So those who are biblically literate know where we're going before we start. Right. But the steps on the ladder move from something more general to something more specific. It starts with simply a passion for Uh truth. Uh, Do you care? Do you want to make the journey? Uh Uh, Would you have at least hope that there's some chance of finding the truth? If not, uh, you're just a passive spectator 
uh, in a monologue and you, you watch an intellectual exercise, but you don't change. Right. That's the essential step. Uh-huh. And that is one that can't be compelled. That's a matter of free choice. It's a matter of the heart rather than the intellect. Right. But once the heart says to the intellect, look, then the next step is, is there any objective truth to look at? Mm-hmm. Or do we just look at our own feelings? If so, the journey will go nowhere. Right. So most people will come to admit that there is objective truth, at least in science. Uh But they often doubt that there's objective truth about religion or about morality Morality, or about the meaning of life. So the next step is, can we hope to find any truth about the big questions? Right. Uh, And once that question of the meaning of life is raised, uh, I came out with as I was writing the book, a a surprising answer. I originally made this fourth step much more complicated, and I realized that we, I think, all really know the most important answer to the most important question in the world. What is the meaning of life? The meaning of life is love. Is love, yeah. Yeah. Right. And from that point, I go up to God. Instead of starting with God and then saying, Mm -hmm. the news is that God is love, I start with love, and then the news is that love goes all the way up into ultimate reality. Right, right. It has a structure, it has, has laws and principles, uh, and, it, and it culminates in and emerges from uh, God. Mm-hmm. And then, and then it, we get into traditional apologetics. Yes. Has God revealed himself? If so, how? And the historical claim of a divine revelation is, of course, in the Jews, who are history's greatest miracle. Uh-huh. And then... If that is credible, you look at them and you find that uh, among these Jews, a man shows up and claims to be that God, Mm -hmm. and he's Christ. Uh And the fundamental argument for accepting his claims is very, very simple. If he's not who he claims to be, he's uh, he's insane and he's blasphemous. He's not simply a good man. Mm -hmm. And the next step is, what did Jesus, in fact, do in history? Uh, And one of the last things he did was establish a church and give his apostles authority to teach in his name. Mm-hmm. And it's simply a historical fact that the Catholic Church is the historical continuation of the apostles. Right. So so we start with passion, and I guess some people just don't have that, or haven't found it yet. Yeah. And if you truly want to have a passion for truth, that will take you through meaning, love, etc., etc., God, which will lead you to his revelation in Jesus Christ, which will lead you to the Catholic Church, and then to the authority of the Church. Um, was this, I mean, I, I, I know that you've, you've written so many books and you've been teaching for so long, and was, was this your personal journey uh, in, in the last, you know, of your life that you've sort of come to this in this sense? Uh, in some places, yes. In some places, no. Yeah. For instance, I didn't start with the Jews and move to Jesus. I did the opposite. I uh-huh. appreciated uh, uh, the Jews through Jesus. But I did start as a Protestant evangelical with Jesus and suspicious of the Catholic Church, and then reading the Church Fathers to prove to myself that I was in the right Church uh, and produced found, the opposite result. Exactly, you found Instead something of else. Jesus establishing a Protestant Church, which went bad, that is Catholic, later mm-hmm. I found out that he established the, the continuous Church that has always taught uh, the things the Church teaches today. Right, right. Now, do you think, uh, just in closing, is this a book, uh, I know you'd like it to be for everyone, but is this a book particularly that's going to appeal to people who who are looking for rational arguments for common sense? 
That is exactly why I wrote it. Uh-huh. Uh, I assumed that uh, there are a lot of readers out there who are like Libby, the dialogue partner that Mother talks to, yeah. namely open-minded, sincere, but doubting skeptics. Yes. So I try to take them step by step. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really appreciated the book, and uh, I I love I, I I have come to my faith in understanding it in a very similar process in terms of common sense. So I, I personally really appreciate it. So um, I really thank you for for writing it, and uh, I'm glad it's out, and that people now can can uh, I love the fact that I can go back and reread it, you know, as 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 I grow personally in my own understanding. So thank you very much for sharing the book with us and for sharing some of your ideas with us today, Doctor. Well, thank you. Thank you for your questions and thank you for liking the book. Dr. Peter Kreeft is a professor of philosophy at Boston College and one of the most widely read Christian authors of our time. Among his many best-selling books are You Can Understand the Bible, Angels and Demons, Fundamentals of the Faith, and A Summa of the Summa. You can learn about him at peterkreeft.com. His latest book, Jacob's Ladder, is published by Ignatius Press. Stay connected with Salt and Light Radio for a chance to win a copy of Jacob's Ladder. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Sarah Kroger, with In the Silence from her album, Your Time. In the silence of the heart you speak And your mercy
That was Sarah Kroger with In the Silence from her album Your Time. Sarah Kroger is probably one of the newest additions to the Spirit and Song family. <laughs> she's a worship leader in Florida and is a youth she's a youth minister and music minister at her parish, Holy Name of Jesus. In her short career, though, Sarah has led worship at various Life Teen events and Steubenville Youth Conferences. Sarah's debut album is called Your Time, which we've been listening. Um, That was Sarah's first album, and it features songs co-written with fellow spirit and song artists and Salt and Light radio supporters Josh Blakesley and Sarah Hart. And I'm happy to say that Sarah Kroger joins us now on the phone. Sarah, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you guys. <laughs> so so let's back up here. I always like to, to do this with, with artists when we're speaking to them for the first time. So uh, tell sure. us, what was it like to grow up in the Kroger household? Was it was it a Catholic home? Was it a musical home? What was it like? All of the above. Um, my family, my parents were both music ministers growing up in the Catholic Church. So uh-huh. we were always, obviously, at Mass every week sometimes multiple masses every week, right. um, and and always going to church. Um, our It was like our, our second home was to be at the church, because they always have rehearsals going on, or whatever it might be, so we were always there. Um, our family was very musical. We loved listening to musicals growing up, and <laughs> listening to all different kinds of music. My dad really liked classical music, so he would force us to listen to that right. as kids, <laughs> so, which I'm really glad that he did because it made me just uh, really enjoy all kinds of music. Yeah, so, that's yeah. good. So you didn't have much choice then in no. <laughs> in your career path? Were you... <laughs> Not really, I'd say, no. Were no, you... I grew up singing, yeah. for sure. And were you, did they kind of have you involved in, in, in the music ministry in the parish from the time you were little? Um, they they kind of did, yeah. We we were, we're always a part of the children's choir. Um, yeah. My brother, sister, and I all all play instruments. And uh, when I became a teenager, my mom kind of was like, "It's not an option. You're going to be cantering at mass." And and even though I really did not want to, and I was terrified to do it, she still completely encouraged me to do it. So really, um, I have her to thank for for just building my confidence in, in sharing the gift that God gave me from, from a young age. Why didn't you want to do it? Were you just it, it, that sort of teenage insecurity, or <laughs> did you not think you could sing? I would say it is that, yeah. I think it was, singing is something that's pretty vulnerable, I think. Yeah. And uh, and so I just kind of wanted to hold on to that. I didn't want anyone to really judge that. I was pretty insecure about it, um, even though my mom told me over and over again, you have the best voice, you have the best voice. Um, yeah. uh, I just didn't really really uh i just didn't really want to share that with anybody because i didn't want anybody to to bring it down so i held on to it for a long time and then um i actually went to a camp and tom booth who's Uh another student songwriter of course yeah was there and i and i was sing. i somehow got roped into singing with him a youth minister found out or something like that and i and i sang with him at mass one day and he just spoke a couple words of wisdom and said to me you know and he didn't even know my story he just said you know, it is. It's it's denying God's gift to not to not um, share this with others. Sarah, you have a great gift, wow. and from that point on, I was just like, you know what? I realized that it was a gift from God, and that I was basically throwing it back in His face by not sharing it with others. So it was from that point on that even with knees shaking and and sweaty palms and just being terrified, that I started to just serve the Lord and uh, give it back to him. Oh, good. Thank you, Tom Booth, for his words of wisdom there. Amen. I know he's helped <laughs> a lot of people. Um, did you, uh, 
did you go through a phase as an adolescent or early, uh, you know, young adult? Like you're still a young adult, I guess. Um, but mm-hmm. where you where you sort of didn't even want to do the church thing, or you doubted your faith, or re- like a little rebellion? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I. What's funny is I always ask everybody that I meet um, in ministry if they were ever a rebel, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just because I like hearing hearing um, like stories of of uh, redemption and yeah. all of that, and That's, all of us yeah. have that kind of a story. For me, though, um, I was raised in a Catholic family, um, and I mean, not that we didn't have problems, but I just always had this knowledge of God from a very young age, and just a desire to please Him from a very young age, and so. Uh, by the grace of God, I was protected from a lot of things when I was a teenager. I never really went through a rebellious phase, shockingly, mm-hmm. but, no. but by the grace of God, it was it, that was great. Um, I always just, and when I started doing music, it was always, I always wanted to do it for the Lord. I never wanted to do it in a secular okay. sense. It was yeah. always just. A desire to give it back to God. Right, so, so. you never, you weren't thinking about American Idol or anything like that. No, w- never, no. When did you start writing music? Yeah, um, only recently, really. I, I uh, only for this last record, really. I, I had, I had started writing melodies and things like that, um, and had ideas of scripture verses that really inspired me. Mm-hmm. I journal a lot, so um, yeah. I, I always have different things that really inspire me and that that take hold of my heart. Um, but it wasn't until I started actually pursuing a record that uh, that I started writing more seriously, and that's when um, I got together with Sarah Hart and with Josh Blakesley and was able right. to write um, the first record with them. So okay, so 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 tell us about that because so here you are. Uh, I'm not going to say because I don't know how old you are, but you're not old. You're you're a young <laughs> woman. You're 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 singing. Like, how did you go to like? Oh, I'm going to write an album. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> Well, um, I, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. I, I went to college for music, uh-huh. um, always had a desire to do music, and I originally had planned, my plan was to be an elementary music teacher, but I always had a desire to be a worship leader, to travel as a music missionary of, okay. of some sort. Yeah. For some reason, had that desire, but didn't really know how it was going to happen. I, I really felt called to just kind of give it to the Lord and allow Him to, to move in that, because you don't want to promote yourself. And I, I just I was never that kind of person. And so right, yeah. I always wanted to just give it to God. And, and Josh kind of came into my path. I worked at a camp called Camp Cove Crest, mm-hmm. a life team camp in, in uh, team, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. And so I worked there for a summer, and Josh came through. Ben Walter, who's another student and songwriter, yeah, of course. came through. Yeah. I had the opportunity to sing with a lot of them, and then uh, Josh, the next summer, basically contacted me and said, uh, "and said I need someone to do Steubenville conferences. Will you oh, come nice. with us?" And, right. and uh, basically, just had seen something in me that that I, I really wasn't sure what it was, but had seen something in me and, and decided to pursue me, and and then asked me to do uh, an album. So that's kind of how it unfolded, that's, and the, it was all the Lord. Yeah, you know what, I, that is so, I think it is so amazing on how God works. You're not the first person that tells me a very similar story that God puts something really? in your heart. God puts something in your heart. You see yourself doing, like in your case, you saw yourself doing, you know, worship, leading in a conference, and next thing right. you know, that's where God's taking you. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so you ended up working <laughs> with, with Josh, and with, I mean, Sarah Heart is like the best songwriter in the oh world. Oh my gosh! So the best in the world. <laughs> um, so okay, so but, uh, see, there's so many questions I want to ask you, and I want to ask you about this new album that's coming out. But before that, you you just came back from Ghana, 
with I on a did. trip with Catholic Relief Services and uh, I did. Was Ben Walther part of that that group as well? Ben Walther was a part of that. Ken Canedo, Valamar Gibson, Greg Walt, Walt Walton. I think yeah. Rob Fiducia went. No. Robert Fiducia went as yeah, well. Yeah, he did went as well. Okay, yeah, because I think he's the one. Yeah. And and uh, a Greg Walton, good friend of mine too. Um, how yeah. was that? What was that? Uh, what was that all about? And how was it? It was incredible. It's very difficult to kind of put it into words. Um, it was a life-changing experience for all of us involved. The The purpose of the trip was to, to be a partnership between OCP and CRS, um, which is something that's never really happened before. Okay, so, so and, OCP and being Oregon Catholic Press, was the music Oregon publisher, Catholic Press, and correct. Catholic and Relief CRS, Services. CRS, yeah. Catholic Relief Services, which is the American Church's outreach yes. to the world. Yes, yes. Um, and... And so for many reasons, it was just an incredible trip. Um, the partnership is so unique because so many artists with, with Oregon Catholic Press, with OCP, yeah. travel the country and speak to young people, speak to, speak to all ages. Yeah. And, um, and so it's really an opportunity for us to become more involved in social justice in our church and, and within especially the, the American church and, and to be able to spread the message of CRS and, and really ignite, for me, I, I felt a real need um, to ignite the young church, especially in in just being proud of their church, because the Catholic Church, I've, as I've come to realize through this trip and through my knowledge of CRS now, um, the Catholic Church is the number one charitable organization in the yes, world, and absolutely. it's something to be so proud of. Absolutely, not that it wasn't already something to be proud of, but but there are so many things to be proud of, and this is one of them, and one of the things that a lot of people can get involved in that they don't know. So um, so it's a really unique opportunity for us as artists to be able to take the message of CRS to now our, our other our ministries and to bring the message of social justice and our brothers and sisters around the world, their stories, to, to the people of America. Amen. Good stuff. So um, in the little time that we have, then tell me about this new album that's supposed to drop next week or two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, this album is called Hallelujah is Our Song. It's seven brand new songs. Um, actually, one of them is a cover of The King of Love, My Shepherd. Uh-huh. And uh, we, I wrote this song out of a period of, of desolation, of, of desperation for God. There was a lot of change going on, a lot of different suffering and different uh, people that were in my life that are close to my family. And, and so there was there was a real sense of desperation and um and there was a lot of prayer revolved around the idea that um, there's a, with every cross there's a resurrection, and really that we are an Easter people, like like J, the yeah. JP two quote says, um, yeah, yeah. "Do not abandon yourselves to despair, for we are an Easter people, and Hallelujah is our song." Mm-hmm. And so that's really where the inspiration for the album came out. I'm really excited to be able to share it with people. Oh yeah, so am I. So am I. I hope uh, that my copy is already in the mail. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, and that's published by Spirit and Song. Correct. Correct. Okay, good. Sarah, that's all the time we have, but it's been so, so neat connecting with you finally and, and, and you. getting to know you and chatting. I'm sure our paths will cross some uh, at some it point. It would be great. That's, okay. Thank you so much. It was great to talk. Sarah Kroger's uh, album, Your Time, as well as the new album, Hallelujah, Hallelujah is Our Song, are available through spiritandsong.com, and you can also learn more about Sarah at her website, sarahkroger.com. That's Kroger with a K, K R O G E R. And here she is now from her album, Your Time, with a song that was co written by Josh Blakesley and Sarah Hart. Sarah Kroger with Impossible Things.
Listening to Sarah Kroger with Impossible Things from her album Your Time. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Impossible things. Impossible things, yeah.